Mary, I encourage you to read that. If you'll continue on, you see a table of contents. Um, I'm going to begin with this organizational structure. That may seem kind of boring, but uh, I just want to explain to you the oversight of, of our church and particularly the oversight of the children's ministry. Uh, we have on our session, uh, the session is our group of elders, if you are unfamiliar with our structure. We have a group of elders, and they're broken up into five committees. Okay, so every, every person on the session is on a particular committee. We have the children and youth committee. That's, they sometimes are pulled apart and separate, but often we meet together. We have the administrative committee, or what I call the boring committee. Uh, it just talks about the finances and the Excel spreadsheets, all the things that I don't do well. Uh, the building and grounds, uh, that, those sorts of things. We have the missions committee uh, that considers all of our missionaries and how to support them. Uh, we have our nominations and planning committee. When you nominate officers, they collect these, these names. They organize them. Some maybe you have, have nominated them, and they're not a member, so they can't become a, an officer. So they, they compile all of, the, all of those things. And then the planning side, they're always considering the future of the church, the vision of the church. Okay? And then lastly, we have our Christian education and worship committee. They are, they are combined. So Christian education, as far as adults are concerned, there is nothing we study at the church, whether it's the children or the adults, that has not first been approved at the sessional level. Okay, So a teacher can't just, I want to study this or that, and, and it's okay. And it's got to be approved by the session. Now, obviously, that doesn't include, a, you know, your Sunday school class says, well, we'd like to study Ephesians this year. I guess we need to get that approved by the session. You don't have to approve that. The Bible's approved. Okay, just it's conditionally approved. But anything else you might want to do, a curriculum of some kind, that does need to find its approval. And then the worship committee is considering a preaching schedule. If we want to have a speaker of a conference, that's going to have to be approved at the sessional level. I'm trying to show you the oversight, okay? The organizational structure there, uh, Don Hall is the chairman of our Youth and Children's Committee. Uh, he runs our, our meetings that we have uh, every other month. Uh, I am the pastor that oversees uh, the Children's Committee, uh, so I help Mary uh, uh, with just things that we need to deal with week to week and in the consideration of the kids. Underneath that is Mary Sanchez, uh, who just spoke, the director of our children's ministry, uh, Colleen Miller, our newly appointed uh, children's ministry assistant, Lori Gillis, uh, our nursery administrator. Uh, she runs that like a well-oiled machine. Uh, Lori does a great job. And soon to be, kind of parallel on that organizational structure, will be added Amy Bennett. Uh, she is the director of our side-by-side -side ministry, which you've heard sprinklings about over the last few months. And she's going to come up in just a few minutes and give you more uh, about what that is. And then on down the, on down the row there, uh, from our volunteers and nursery workers and Sunday school teachers, uh, that's kind of how all this, all this operates and works. You'll turn the page. Uh, I, want, I want to mention this only in terms of giving great thanks to these folks, uh, to Jennifer Marks and Carolyn Edmonds, who teach our two- and three-year-olds, uh, to Sainer Foshi and Susan Dunwoody, to uh, Don and Peggy Hall, to Donna Rumpf, to Henry and Kelly Mahler, to Caleb and Elizabeth Peed, uh, Robert and Marilyn Stamps. Thank you very much uh, for what you do for our kids. Uh, what a blessing it is as a parent to know the things that they're getting taught, to see the enthusiasm that you have uh, for teaching our kids. Uh, from, from, the, from the staff of the church, thank you for, for what you do. We really appreciate that. Uh, and pray for them. Uh, if you've ever taught this age group, it is not easy. Uh, pray for them as they do that. 
If you'll turn the page again, these next few pages I want to spend a little bit more time on to explain to you kind of how we arrived at some of these curriculum decisions um, and why we like this, this curriculum so much. So in Sunday school this coming year, this is what your kids are going to be learning. They're going to be using the Show Me Jesus curriculum. You see a brief description of that. It's the green section there at the bottom. The Show Me Jesus curriculum comes from Great Commission Publications. That is the PCA's children's ministry publications. Okay, so they, are, they have lots of different things that you can choose from, but they're constantly putting out great resources that we use. Another great resource uh, that we have used before is Desiring God Ministries. Um, how I usually differentiate between the two, Great Commission Publications, a lot more teacher-friendly. They really help you out. They explain things better. Desiring God Ministries... It's going to ask a lot of the teachers. It's the de- both are very deep, but you got to really put a lot of work in uh, to desiring God. That's not to say anything negative about it. They're both wonderful, but we have often chosen Great Commission Publications because it just it it helps the teacher a lot more uh, in its organization. So, and you can you can see some of the other things uh, that we can choose from in the future. Show me Jesus. All of Scripture is the unfolding story of salvation. And Jesus is its focus. We show how Jesus revealed throughout the Bible came to seek and to save the lost. So it's a a, a redemptive historical kind of study. This is how Christ is impacting each of the areas of the Bible. Uh, As as we've seen uh, in the book of Ruth, as Chip was preaching through, as we see in Micah, as we the Old Testament even speaks to the work of Christ. And that'll be some of the things that they see uh, this coming year. Turn over again uh, to the next uh, section, Bible Lesson and Cornerstone. There's a good chance that half of you in here have no idea what that is. (laughs) Uh, We use this term a lot, but I'm I'm always uh, amazed that I don't think we've explained exactly what that is. Or maybe you've heard the shorthand of BLC. Uh, When your kids are dismissed, you know, we get up and we... We've had the offering, and then one of the pastors gets up, and right before the announcements, and we invite the kids to come forward to pray for them. They are then dismissed to what we call BLC, or Bible Lesson and Cornerstone. Okay, sometimes that, the term used by churches is children's church. We don't like that word. Okay, we don't use children's church, okay, because they're not going to church necessarily. They're going to have a Bible lesson in Cornerstone, which is where uh, the children's ministry area. Now, this year, Trying to merge these two things together, we want that time to be a training time for your kids so that they will be then ready for corporate worship. So as you see, this uh, Bible lesson and cornerstone this coming year will be used, teach me to worship. Okay, we will go through, or uh, the teachers will go through the different elements of worship to teach your kids, why do we do a call to worship? Is it just time filler? No, it's not time filler. We believe that God's word calls us, brings us together into worship. Okay, prayers. You probably notice we have different styles of prayer that we use in a worship service. We, we begin the service, we'll have a call to worship, and then we'll have a prayer. Sometimes we call it the prayer of invocation. The prayer of invocation is, Lord, will you come and meet with us? We love you, we adore you, we, uh, we admire you for all that you are. It's this kind of great big language. And praying that the Holy Spirit would come into our hearts and help us to hear the word preached. Okay, And often we'll have a prayer of confession. It's not like the prayer of invocation. Lord, forgive me. Lord, uh, help me today. I need you. I'm unable to understand apart from your word. And then we have what we call the, prayer, the congregational prayer, which is more specific things. Lord, would you be with our missionaries? Would you be with the family who just lost someone? It's, it's petitions and supplications. So those will be some of the things that they're taught. 
in the NBLC this year. Tithes and offerings. Uh, when we collect an offering, it's not a timeout we've just called in the worship service. Like, hang on, we need your money real quick, so timeout, let's pass the collection plate. We believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is itself an act of worship. Uh, the book of Malachi speaks at length to this, that uh, accusing the people of God of robbing him by not giving tithes and offerings, there's, there's a worshipful aspect to the giving back of the things that God has given us. Confessions of faith, why do we, why do we confess our faith together? Preaching the word, these will be the things that our kids are learning about this year and being explained to them why they're included in the worship service. So hopefully they can better understand what we do and why we do it. And I hope, uh, likely you know this, we encourage any children second grade and above to continue in, the, in corporate worship. So once they leave the nursery, basically it's three years, kind of the 4K, 5K, first grade year that we are inviting them to come up. Uh, they don't have to. If it's, your, if it's your choice to leave your kids in the worship service, that is just fine. But just know that there is something for them. And in this coming year, they're going to be learning and taught what it means to worship. Okay. Turn the page again, if you would. A curriculum that we are very excited about. Mercy, if you would pull that website up for me. It's a new-ish curriculum. I say new-ish. The electronic version of this has been available for some time, but now it's in print version. Uh, And we are excited to introduce to you uh, this New City Catechism. Uh, It it comes with an app that I'm going to show you in just a minute if we can get that up. It's very user-friendly. It's easy to to navigate this app and put it on your phone, and even when you're maybe tucking your kids uh, in at night, discussing the theology that that comes from this. Um, This is something that, as I mentioned, all curriculum that we cover uh, in, in our church has been approved at the sessional level. And so we approved this before the Children's Committee. We also approved this before the Christian Education and Worship Committee because we want to use this in adult, with adults as well. So session okayed it. L- let me discuss it just for a moment from this standpoint. We're not saying that we are getting rid of the larger and shorter catechism, as if we don't like that catechism anymore, and we're now substituting in New City Catechism. Not at all. We are saying, as far as the children's ministry is concerned, we think this is a very attractive uh, curriculum. It's very well done, theologically accurate. And so we want to use it, hopefully, that you will see this, see its value, begin to catechize your kids, and let that be a bridge back to the larger and shorter catechism that's a little bit fuller. Now, where did this theology come from? Well, as you start to read through the New City Catechism, it, a lot of it's going to be very familiar to you. The New City Catechism, while it's only 52 questions, one for each week of the year, it's a compilation of three things. It's Calvin's Geneva Catechism, it's the Heidelberg Catechism, which it relies most heavily upon, and then lastly, it's the Larger and Shorter Catechism. So it's kind of a smashing together of those three. It's nothing new, really. It's the New City Catechism, but it's not new in what what it says. What you'll also see is, wow, wait, so the shorter catechism is 107 questions and New City is only 52. Well, what's up with that? Well, a lot of instances, one question has been a smashing together of maybe three questions of the Heidelberg. So in actuality, there's not a lot of information difference. It's just it's been put on a child's level. Some of the archaic language 
of the of the larger and shorter catechism has been updated to reflect uh, kind of more of the way we talk. Here we are. Let me show you how good this is. No, that's my Netflix app. That's not going to work. Um, that's not what we're looking for. Okay, so this this is the website. Slightly different on your phone, but but the same information. Okay, what is our only hope in life and death? That's the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Okay, mercy if you click on the short answer that we are not our own, but belong body and soul and life and death to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, you see there on the side that's the main scripture reference. Your app has that as well. You just got to go down and click the bottom left icon, and that passage pops up for you. Okay, so you got the scriptural reference. If you'll click on the text icon there, Mercy. The text icon gives you commentary, okay? Commentary from two people, a, a dead person and a live person, okay? Or, a young, or an old person and a young person. Maybe that's better said. So here's from, from John Calvin. He gives a brief commentary on that passage or on the question itself, okay? If you'll scroll down a little bit. So one from Calvin and then one from Tim Keller. Okay, so giving two, not two viewpoints, but just two, said two different ways about the importance of this particular question. Okay. And then the last thing, those look like praying hands because it's a prayer. A prayer you can offer up with your child in conjunction with the, with the uh, question that you have just learned. Um, it, we could look at several of these, but I think you've got the idea. Uh, you go to the next question, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He's eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. That's a coming together of Westminster and Heidelberg right there. That's, that's a bringing together of two questions in one. You'll probably recognize the infinite, eternal, unchangeable wording of the shorter catechism. And then that first part is from Heidelberg. I just, I'm just trying to draw out that point from before. Uh, you'll see the verses on the side, and again, there'll be, uh, there'll be commentary, Jonathan Edwards uh, and D.A. Carson. So uh, strongly recommend you putting this on your phone and using this. As I said, on Wednesday nights, our kids will be, they'll go one question per week studying this. Also on Wednesday nights for the adults, I'm going to be teaching a class also through the New City Catechism. And we're going to stay right on schedule with the kids, okay? So it might be of benefit to you families. You can take the the class I'm going to teach, and you know exactly what your kids are going through. And we really hope that that will uh, spur on great conversation and discipleship with your kids. Uh, So let me make sure I haven't forgotten anything. Uh, Let me read you one thing from their website. It says, Catechisms were written with three purposes. The first was to set forth a comprehensive exposition of the gospel, not only in order to explain clearly what the gospel is, but also to lay the building blocks on which the gospel is based, such as the biblical doctrines of God, of human nature, sin, and so forth. The second purpose was to do this exposition in such a way that the heresies, errors, and false beliefs of the time and culture were addressed and counteracted. The third and more pastoral purpose was to form a distinct people, a counterculture, that reflected the likeness of Christ, not only in individual character, but also in the church's communal life. Um, Okay, moving on. 
Baptism, uh, I'm not going to touch on that, uh, only to say we have a, a resource for, the, for those of you who have sent your kids through the communicants class. Uh, Brian Chappell's Why Do We Baptize Infants is just a little pamphlet, 25 pages maybe. Uh, very good if you want to read more on baptism. I'm going to close by talking about communicants. Um, uh, Mary, Mary's showing in the back that little booklet if you're interested. That's right. All the curriculum uh, that we have for the coming year is on display there in the back if you want to take a look. The communicants class. Um, since I became a pastor here four years ago, uh, the number one question I have gotten about theology or anything, and it's not even close, quite frankly. It's on communicants class. Now, I don't, that's not a criticism to you. It's, it's trying to understand what is it and why do we do it the way we do it and, and so forth. So in, a very couple, in just a couple minutes, I know I can't give a full explanation, but I will give you a, a partial explanation at least. You can, if you would like it, this is a paper that our session wrote back in March of 2013 concerning the communicants class. We revised it late last year. It's basically an explanation of why we do the communicants class the way we do it. Okay, And here's a, I'm about to give you a brief version of that. From the Book of Church Order, it says, Believers' children within the visible church, and especially those dedicated to God in baptism, are non-communing members under the care of the church. Okay? So if your child is baptized, they are a member of the church, but they're a non-communing member, which means they can't take the Lord's Supper, and they can't yet vote in congregational meetings. Okay? Now, once they are admitted to the table, they can take communion and begin voting in congregational meetings. Okay? So there is a process by which someone moves from being a non-communing to communing member, and it's what we call the communicants class. This is, uh, this is very common in PCA churches. We are certainly by no means unique in this. And so what you will see in this paper, there's, here's the curriculum that we have. The curriculum booklet is back there in the back. It's a, a Understanding Your Faith. It's a 17-lesson booklet that we take kids through to understand their faith. Okay? And we ask that, that parents would wait until the fifth grade before they let, let their kids come through this class. Well, why? <laughs> well, we realize that fifth grade is not the magical year where everyone all of a sudden understands everything and faith makes sense and the Bible becomes clear. No. Churches differ in their opinion on this. Some do third grade. Some churches say it's completely up to the parents and they can do it whenever they want to. Here's the curriculum we want you to take them through and just let us know. Well, we believe as a church and as a session that we want to have some oversight on that, that we trust you parents very much, and your, your testimony of your child's readiness is very important to us, but we also want to examine them ourselves. And so each child, once completing the communicants class, will be interviewed by an elder just to ask questions. It's not a theological exam. It's just helping them understand the gospel, and do they get it? Do they understand, even if it's in a little small seed way, do they understand the gospel? Do they understand Christ, how to trust Christ as their Savior and how to examine themselves? You probably recognize that language from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul exhorts the Corinthians to examine themselves when coming to the table. Uh, if you've uh, been here for a communion service, I imagine you have. And one of the pastors, we step behind the, the table that has the elements on it, and we do several things. We begin by reading words of institution. We read from the scriptures the night that, that Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. 
and then we give a brief explanation of what the Lord's Supper is. Maybe it ties into the sermon, or maybe it's just a general explanation. And the third thing we do is what's called fencing the table. That may be a new term to you. But we tell you that if, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your hope in Jesus Christ, we would ask that you would refrain from the elements. And a lot of why we say that is, is from this. It's, it's the, it would be the inability of that person to examine themselves and have they come in faith to the table that morning. And so we do that and we say if you have unrepentant sin, if, if you harbor ill feelings told a brother or sister in Christ, you need to go and resolve those things before you come to the table. Because the table does have a warning to it. If you come in faith, there's blessing, there's communion with each other, there's communion quite literally, we believe, in a, in a spiritual sense, with Christ in heaven. I always cringe a little bit when I have to fence the table, if I just be honest with you. Because while it's true that we fence the table, we don't ever want you to think that it's a grim thing that we come to the table. There's a celebration there. There is, there is joy that we get to come and receive from the Lord that day. So you, 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 see the, you see the tension. We've got to fence it because it's right scripturally, but we don't want you to think that, this is, that you should be scared or uncertain in any way. No, there is great excitement and joy to come to the table each time. Okay, I think I've touched on everything. I need to leave Amy plenty of time. Uh, Amy Bennett's going to come up. She uh, is the new director of our side-by-side ministry, which I know you have heard about um, over the last few weeks. Uh, she and I started talking about this months and months ago, about what something like this might look like at the church. Uh, we have uh, rolled out, at least in a partial way, some of the ideas for VBS. I know she's very excited about this, uh, and I look forward to hearing from her. So, Amy, if you'd come on up and tell us more. funny I was sitting there and um, some of you might have been there but I spoke on behalf of covenant care in front of our church in January and I finished that and was like okay Amy now we know you hate public speaking you're never doing that again and here I am so y'all will have to forgive me I'm probably a little shaky and might skip over some words but the Lord keeps pulling me back up here so here we go um, first, I just want y'all to know what a privilege it is um, to have you here. It, it means a lot to me that um, I know you're here to hear about children's ministry, but just even that you would come and listen um, to what I think is a really valuable thing for our church to start rolling out. So thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to spend a little time talking about how I got here, how we as a church got here to side-by-side ministry, why this ministry is important, and then practically our vision for this ministry for the next year and then hopefully the long term. Um, Advocating for people with special needs is something I've been passionate about from a very young age. But I began to see the real need for special needs as a ministry when I started working in the world of disabilities as a teacher and an ABA therapist. I would find myself in conversations with the mothers of my students or my ABA clients who would express the loneliness and isolation they felt because of their child with special needs. As many of you know, parenting a child with special needs has a set of unique challenges that often make everyday habits and routine very difficult. Because of this, it can be hard to even leave the house each day, much more to attend church. When I would encourage these mothers to find a church community to help bear some of this burden with them and encourage them, they would often laugh at me. Many of them had already had stories of well-meaning churches who had eventually turned them away, encouraging them to find a bigger church with a better special needs ministry. I remember my client, Ibrahim, who had autism and would sing the same gospel song to himself over and over when he would become overstimulated. 
I asked his mom what church they attended one day after being serenaded by him at our afternoon session. She said that Ibrahim was too disruptive in most church service settings, so they now were forced to have their own family worship services at home each Sunday. Or Emily, a child who was severely physically disabled, whose parents continued to get turned away from each church because the children's ministry staff didn't feel equipped to handle her severe needs. The majority of the families would express a deep desire to be part of a church community. They would see their need for the body of Christ, but they didn't attend because they felt they could not find a church that felt capable of walking alongside them. Was it these churches' intention to shut these people out? Most likely not. Were some of these churches concerned for, their, for caring for these children valid? Probably so. But brothers and sisters, like us, these are families and children who desperately need the shepherding care and body of Christ and the life and hope-giving truth of the gospel on a weekly basis. If you are attending these seminars, this is probably not a foreign truth to you. You probably have someone in your life who is affected by a special need, someone who doesn't exactly fit into the typical church ministry mold. And you're probably here because you have a heart to encourage and serve these struggling families, or maybe a burden to teach a child who learns differently the gospel. But if you're like me, you sometimes feel ill-equipped and intimidated by some of the unique challenges that these disabilities bring. And while in theory you hope that our church would be able to serve many of these families, you're not exactly sure where to start. The reality of special needs ministry sounds messy and time-consuming and maybe even unrealistic. Well, it is our hope and vision that this ministry would train and equip our staff and our volunteers to be prepared and able to say yes to whatever special needs walk through our doors. It might not be perfect. It may take a lot of learning along the way. It may take a lot of tries to get it right. And we might even have to continue adapting our theories. But what is important is that y'all, we are willing to say we are in it with you, with these families, to be willing to enter into the chaos with them. I think a perfect example of how our church has done this well is the sweet life of Stephen Miller. I have heard countless stories of the way our church has served him and loved him through the years, with each milestone that passes, learning a new method or a new training that needed to be done in order to serve him. What I also love is the stories I hear about how Stephen has loved and changed our church, reminding us, as Johnny Erickson Tata says, of our need for God's grace in our lives. Her quote, Friends with disabilities remind us of God's grace, for without Christ, you were once disabled spiritually, unable to move into his kingdom, as well as blind to his purposes and deaf to his voice. But by his grace, you are being made whole, and it's the disability in others which serves as God's physical, audiovisual aid of how he's working spiritually in the lives of us all. Stephen is a reminder to us that we are utterly unable, but our God is supremely able. He is a constant reminder that we all live in the shadow of the cross. So why are we called as a church and as believers to pursue and care for these families? This call lies directly in the truth of our image-bearing and and God's sovereignty. If we believe that the Lord is sovereign, we believe that while he did not create the disability in this child, he has allowed for it in his or her life, and that child has been placed into that specific family for a specific reason, and that family has been placed into our church. We believe that while broken like all of us, that child bears the image of God in a unique way. That, my friends, is something that the culture is not telling these these families and their children. As we turn to to a culture that idolizes perfection and control, the church is slowly becoming one of the only institutions that tells these families that their children have value. I believe that people with disabilities have a vital role to play in the church. 
Why has God allowed some to be disabled, weaker members? How does such design reflect his sovereign and loving care for his people? If he has ordained them in this way, as noted in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Then by Paul's definition, most churches are incomplete without people with disabilities. So what does this mean for the coming school year for our ministry at FPC? Mary, Andy, and I, along with the Sessions Children and Youth Committee, have seen a need to have an additional focus on our children with special needs. Many people have asked me, what do you consider special needs? Right now, we are defining special needs as anyone who might not fit into the typical children's ministry mold. So this might be a child with an actual diagnosis, a child who has recently come into a family through adoption and needs some additional support, or a family who's currently walking through a hard time and whose child might just need a little bit of TLC. Our vision for this first year is to learn how to serve these families who are within our church well. Practically, what does this look like? It looks like me doing a lot of meeting with these families, understanding what their lives look like, their concerns for their child within children's ministry, but also their hopes and goals for their child within the walls of our church. I will then put that understanding into action through training our staff and volunteers on the specific needs of this child through what we call support forms. These parents have to advocate for their children in so many areas of life, at school, at playgroup or sports practice, even sometimes just in the grocery store. This will allow for me to be the advocate for these children within our church walls and within our ministry and free our parents to be able to worship knowing their child is understood and specifically cared for by our staff and volunteers and that there is an advocate standing by on their behalf. Our side-by-side children's ministry support team will be a part of helping me to make this happen by being willing to step in and serve these children's specific needs. Another exciting part of this year's vision is what we are calling side-by-side family support teams. So we have children's ministry support teams, and then we're going to have family support teams. Our hope is to empower our congregation to support these families themselves in practical ways so that they, in turn, can better shepherd and love the child that we believe God has given them. A great issue in many of these families' lives is lack of energy, lack of resources, lack of time together. Many of these parents are just flat-out exhausted. We have families in our church whose children attend over 30 hours of therapy in one week. We have families whose children constantly struggle to regulate amidst the chaos of the world around them. These volunteers would be placed into a team of three or four other volunteers. They would agree to bring a meal once a month to a family or maybe babysit once a month to allow the couple to go on a much-needed date night. These teams would focus on practical ways they can provide for these families so that these families can be poured into here in the church setting and so that they can find some much-needed rest in order to continue loving and raising the child God has given them. I want to encourage you that you don't have to be an expert in autism or Down syndrome or adoption to help with this ministry. You have to be willing to learn and get to know a person or a child or a family and commit to love them well. Each of us will have a unique role to play. As to long-term goals, if we can get to a place where we feel like we're supporting the families within our church well, we would love to turn outwards and have this special needs ministry be a beacon of light to our city. We would love to reach special needs communities all around Macon who feel isolated and alone, that through this special needs platform and side by side together, we might reach the world for Christ. So um, if we have a few extra minutes, um, if any of you guys need to go out to service, feel free to. I'd love to show you just thinking about long-term, 
This is um, Christ Church in Nashville. They have, um, they've been doing this ministry for a long time, so they are many steps ahead of us, but they have what they call special Saturdays. Um, it is a time for anybody in the community of Nashville to bring their child um, to a well-trained um, Saturday morning, ultimately, respite care. Um, and they have been able to evangelize the city of Nashville with this and then also just serve their own members well. So I'd love to just give you an idea of what this could look like. For the children to come, some of them look forward to this months in advance. (laughs) We send out a postcard to remind them that the time is coming, and parents actually hide the postcard because the children won't sleep until a special Saturday. Christ Press hosts a once a month respite program for children with special needs and their siblings. The kids get to come and have friendship. They get to have Bible, music, snacks, crafts, games, and just all around time where they get to be with buddies who really love them and have just a really fun time. that come are amazing, just like any parent is 24-7, but for a family that has a child with special needs, they could have been up all night the night before. They very rarely let them tell me get out for a date night or a date morning. You're not always able to depend on just, you know, asking a babysitter to come take care of your children um, when, they, when they have special needs. For seven years, we didn't have a date. <laughs> we did not go on a date. And the only time we got time away is if Jim's mom came from Memphis three hours away and stayed the night so that we could go out on a date. And so Special Saturday gives us once a month to go reconnect with each other and spend some time away from our children. started out very small with just a few children that came and a few volunteers, but it was really out of a need of a parent saying, I just need to have a small window of time where I can just be off the clock and be with other people. And so what came from that was seeing where families really had a break. They love their kids. They're amazing. So it's not that they don't want to be with their children, but get refreshed, recharged, and are able to kind of go back at it again when things come at them or they have a new diagnosis or a change with a child that this just gives one time during the month where they could just go and be and we've got their kids in great care and they're also getting to really hear God's word and see love in action through the body. We tell everyone we know about it because there aren't many churches who have a ministry like this. This is how we found Christ Press, is through the special needs ministry. We weren't able to um, attend services before. We'd try to make it through a service, and we'd always get called out. And so this has made all that possible. If every church in Nashville would take the idea of having a respite, I would love for churches to come and learn how to do this. Um, and to actually start our respite in a different area. We continue to grow, and we want to have as many come as we can. But sometimes due to just numbers of having the volunteers come, uh, we're not sure how far it could go. But I would love for Special Saturday to be something that many churches did, and that these families had great opportunities all through the city in addition to Christ Press. Thank you.
you because I think, A, it gives us a picture of a long-term vision. Again, this is not part of this year's vision. But also it just gives you an idea just of, to understand some of these families, what their lives are like. Um, that was a very eye-opening video for me. Um, but there are yellow sheets of paper stuck between the salt and pepper on your tables. Um, if you are interested in helping with the ministry, again, it can be in small ways. It can be in big ways. Um, I would love to hear from you. Um, I would love to hear your stories. I would love to hear what you're passionate about. So um, there are multiple check boxes. Um, one is if you'd like to help within children's ministry. If you'd like to be a buddy or help with curriculum um, or just even you know, be on standby um, for whoever might come to our church to be able to be a buddy, please check off the um, support form or support team, children's ministry support team. And then again, the family support team is just that really practical um, supporting families through bringing meals once a month, um, through babysitting every few months. We've really helpful to these families and equip them to love the child that God has given them. So thank y'all for being here. Um, I hope that y'all are staying. We have two great volunteers, uh, volunteers, speakers, and that are going to help us learn to do this well. So um, thank you again.